Hello everyone and welcome to the Geary, Stad and Steven Show, an amazing video podcast with sports stars, entertainment celebrities and other great guests, combining one host who has no legs, one host who lives in Duluth, Minnesota, and another host who seems to never be on the show. But now, on to the show with Troy, Dave, and maybe even Will. Well, 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 ho, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Gary Stein and Stephen Show. I, of course, is Dave Stevens coming to you from the home offices here in Bristol, Connecticut. And, of course, I'm always joined by my co-hosts, uh, no Will Stein tonight, but I've got Troy Geary joining me from a chilly, cold Duluth, Minnesota. Troy, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Dave. And are uh, you staying warm up there? Oh, yeah. Actually, you know what? Uh, this winter's been surprisingly uh, warm so far. Not a lot yeah. of so I'll take and- it. The Vikings have cooled off, so uh, you know we uh, hope that they can still stay afloat, and uh, we can talk about them on other episodes. But I have a great guest tonight. Uh, we were hoping to get him on to talk about a world championship, but uh, that wasn't in the cards. Uh, but uh, Brent Strom is a pitching coach and a former major leaguer and a, a great guy and all-around uh, good person. Brent Strom joining us uh, for the show tonight. Brent, how are you doing? Are you staying warm out there? Well, I noticed uh, the Arizona State sweatshirt. I'm, I live down in Tucson, Arizona, where the Wildcats are, but uh, I'm neither a, a Wildcat or a uh, Sun Devil fan. I went to USC, so I'm a, I'm living and dying with my Trojans and. <laughs> Lately, I've been dying a, a slow death with the SC football team, so uh, a little bit difficult at times. This is going to be a fun show to talk about. You mentioned your college career. Uh, people don't realize that you won two national championships in college, and uh, that must have been exciting back in those days as far as when the Pac-10 was the Pac-10 in baseball. Well, actually, it was the Pac-8. There was no Arizona State or, or Arizona, but I, I, I got a chance to play for the legendary uh, Rod Dato, and uh, had some great players. I remember uh, a pitching staff that consisted of myself, uh, Jim Barr, Steve Busby, Bill Lee, uh, and then, of course, Dave Kingman was on the team. So uh, we had some really great talent, but uh, uh, it was a fun time for us and uh, uh, a time I'll never forget. Uh, you coached some great pitchers over the years, uh, Verlander, Cole, Grant, you can go on, Doug, uh, Gollin. Uh, what makes them so special, and how how much have you? I mean, I'm sure you've uh, helped in their their uh, progression over the years, and uh, just kind of give us uh, something uh, about each one. Well, you know, I, I have been very fortunate. You know, it's uh, it's it's interesting all the uh, accolades that I, I have seemed to have accrued late in my career. Um, I always refer back to what Bill Parcells once said. He said, "Writers write, coaches coach, and players play." And I've never forgotten the fact that it is a player's game. And so in many respects, each and each one of the guys that you mentioned had had certain skills that uh, made That's them stand out. Really and, uh, position to put your team. and it was, uh, you know, a, a group of guys that uh, were highly competitive, uh, always wanted to learn. And I always thought that the the two greatest attributes that all of them have is is they have an open mindset and are extremely competitive people. And when you have that combination, uh, a lot of good things can happen. So all of them did it a little bit differently than each other. And so as a pitching coach, you need to identify those strengths, uh, continue to 
keep the strength strong and on occasion kind of dabble with the weaknesses. But most important thing is keep your strength strong. I, I learned that from Whitey Herzog. Uh, and so uh, each, one, each, each one of them does that. Brent, what, uh, what makes a, a good pitching coach? I mean, everybody can go out there and, and teach and stuff, and I know they actually have to execute, but what makes a successful pitching coach that then reflects that in the performances of the players? Well, I think it starts, first of all, with a knowledge base, a philosophy that you believe in. I think the pitching coach himself has to continue to evolve and learn. Uh, I do think that's very, very important that you have a – a different camaraderie with each. You have to know each each individual, what they react to, uh, whether they can take criticism or not, when to pat them, uh, when to uh, uh, do different things with them, and quite frankly, when to leave them alone. I think that's one of the greatest things I learned as a pitching coach is to know those times to just uh, let them speak to you, uh, ask a question, and let them reflect back and have them talk back to you instead of you always talking to them. Um, so I think that's a, it, those are a couple of the vital points that I've learned throughout my career. Early in my career, I just wanted to keep talking and teaching and do this, do that. And I realized it wasn't the best way to go about teaching. And so you have to kind of pick and choose your spots, uh, keep it as simple as possible. Uh, basically, simplicity on the far side of complexity. And, uh, and hopefully that, uh, that the, they, will, they will achieve the goals that, you're, uh, that they're trying to get. Yeah, speaking about your style, you know, you I've seen that you t basically you're still old school, but you use some analytics. Just kind of talk about that. I know uh, this year, you know, with your Diamondbacks team, um, especially in the playoffs, um, you know, games one and two against the Phillies, uh, you know, little issues, and then uh, you decided uh, looks like you had more pitches up in the zone. So kind of just talk about uh, your philosophy and then kind of adjustments you made in that uh, NLCS. Well, it's quite it's an interesting comment you just made because this is this is quite interesting. What happened was uh, when I came over here from the the Astros, I was <clears throat> dead set on teaching the elevated fastball, teaching the four seam fastball, utilizing pitching inside, and really I didn't do a very good job of it my first year or so. Uh, second year a little bit better, but we still have ways to go. So in the playoffs, what happened was instead of the Braves versus the Phillies, I noticed. Even a guy who throws as hard as, uh, as Strider, Spencer Strider, uh, both Murphy and Dayarnu, uh, the two catchers, never sat inside on any right-handed hitters. They always sat middle, middle away. And I thought to myself, this is odd because I thought, and then the 15 times or so in the in the two times that Strider pitched against them, remember this is a guy who throws 100 miles an hour, 90, 98 plus. Uh, by accident, he threw 15 pitches up and in or inside at the belt to right-handed hitters. <clears throat> The uh, Phillies had five foul balls and 10 swing and misses. <coughs> Excuse me. So my philosophy going into this thing was, <coughs> excuse me, was to recognize that outside of Turner and Baum, every one of them had a lift swing or they kind of tilted their head and, and were looking for balls middle, middle away. And Turner and Baum were the only two that were really flat bat guys. And so what I, I emphasized to the guys, let's, let's run heaters up and in and then use breaking balls off the plate, and we had success. <coughs> well, those successes hopefully will continue in, into next year. Um, <laughs> Brent, <laughs> I'll let you get what uh, yeah. – what, uh, for going into next season now, 
you kind of have that hangover of a World Series loss. What's that pitching philosophy going to go into next season for you? Well, I'm definitely, I've been, all, all winter long, I've been afraid of regression. I, uh, I've been a little bit worried that there would be have a hangover. Uh, the big concerns for me is a guy like Gallon who threw 240 innings. And we have to get started a month later. So that's uh, that's a big concern. I do hope that uh, we are. I'm already working with a couple of the young starters to get them up to speed because some work needs to be done with guys like Allen, guys like uh, Nelson and uh, Henry and Sacconi, uh, those guys. So I'm trying to work with those guys that are in line to be the, the number five starter. But uh, Gallon, a little bit of concern. Uh, you know, that's a that's a huge workload and uh, reminds me of the workload that the guys had back in the 70s uh, with the Carltons and the Seavers uh, and those people. So it's a concern, no question. And when you talk about those guys that, you know, he wanted to never come out of those games, it's also your job to make sure that they are there from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. And I, how, how tough is that for you when you pitched in those eras where everybody goes out and goes seven or eight innings? How tough is that now to have these young guys go, hey, you, you should worry about six, focus on six, and, and those best six innings? Well, I never I never tell them to go five or six. I, I, always, I always try and uh, stretch the envelope. Uh, I want them to experience, which Gallon did in Chicago, in a one nothing game to walk off the mound and shake, shake some hands coming off the mound. Cause as my favorite, my favorite pitcher of all time, Sandy Koufax once told me, he says the greatest thrill uh, from a pitcher is to be pitching in a hostile environment on the road and shut a team down and, and hear, hear nothing to hear, hear silence. And I think that's, uh, that's what I'd like each of them to experience at some point in time in their career. And uh, the, the complete game is kind of, gone by the wayside now. Uh, but I, I do think that we can stretch the envelope. I, I don't know if 100 is the number just because it's a it's a nice round number. I think each pitcher is different. And uh, and if they're if they if they utilize their pitches correctly, don't waste a lot of pitches. I, I think you can still get guys to go six, seven, eight and uh, help a bullpen. That's what we had in Houston. And uh, it was successful. Well, we are for the first uh, three innings of this show, so uh, we're going to take a little break. <clears throat> I'll clear my throat. Brent can clear his throat. We'll play a couple commercials, and we'll come back. This is a great night. We're going to talk baseball, talk about Brent's career before he joined the Diamondbacks. Don't go away. You're watching Geary, Stein, and Stevens. Hi, everybody. Dave Stevens from the Geary Stein and Stevens Show. And, you know, Troy and I are on the road all the time covering games, doing things, my motivational speaking. But I have connected with LifeWave, which has really changed my life. And it's an amazing patch that not only helps me to live my life, it keeps me very active. Tammy Wellman is joining me. And now, Tammy, you put these patches on me. It is a stem cell regeneration plan. But tell us a little bit more how it works. Yeah, so these patches are amazing. They're wearable wellness. They're non-transdermal patches. Nothing goes in your body. Your body gives off light. They capture it and they activate your body's own repair system. Your body goes to work to heal things that are in need of healing, pain reduction, things like that. It gave me an opportunity to play in the Celebrity Softball Classic. This video of my base hit, I wouldn't have done it without these patches. So please, if you want to know more about this product, go to patchit.life. LifeWave, it's changing my life. We told you 
Welcome back to the Geary, Stein, and Steven show. My guest is Brent Strom, and take a look at that young, good-looking guy. <laughs> the Mets, the Padres. You're killing me, man. You're killing me. <laughs> 22 career victories. Hey, I, people people forget you were there. I mean, you, you were there. And I think yeah, that helped. Look, what did you look, take from your career that helped you become such a good pitching coach? Well, first of all, let me let me say thank you very much. I uh, – by the way, I love the commercial I just saw. That was great. Um, the uh, I always when I do clinics, I always like to tell people I was a 22 game winner. And then under my breath, I told them I, I tell them it took me three years to get there. But um, you know, I was the second person to have Tommy John surgery. And um, looking back on my career, um, I was self taught through a lot of innings as an amateur. Uh, coming up, uh, pitched a lot of innings in college, through high school, and uh, Started to have some arm issues uh, when I signed with the Mets out of USC. Uh, and then it was kind of a slippery slope from then on. So I've kind of dedicated my life uh, after the Tommy John surgery, where my career stopped at age 30, became a pitching coach in the Dodger organization uh, to try and monitor the arm action, to understand how the body moves, uh, to try and be as efficient as possible. Because a lot of these young men have hopes and dreams like I did. And I would have loved to have been a a 10 to 15 year uh, a major league pitcher. Uh, it didn't work out for me, but um, I kind of think I found my niche in coaching and teaching. And, uh, you know, I always, I know it's a good job for me because I never know when the first and 15th of the month comes. And uh, I just really enjoy my every day, just kind of getting to learn a little bit. I, I'm still doing research uh, to try and help myself become better uh, because I really don't want to, uh, I'm sure I've given some, uh, some uh, not not intentionally, but given some information to pitchers in the past that maybe wasn't the right way to go about things. So I, that always bothers me, and I just want to get better each and every day to help these players. Uh, speaking of uh, helping players, the D-backs just signed Eduardo Rodriguez. How excited are you uh, to work with him, and what do you like most about his game? Well, you know, I, I talked to A.J. Hinch, my former manager with the Astros, who was was uh, – Eduardo's uh, coach up in Detroit. Uh, this is a guy, from what I understand, uh, I've watched him from afar. A really good changeup, good fastball, cutter. Um, does need to work his spin, spin a little bit. We'll have to work on his spin a little bit. But uh, this guy likes to go deep in the games. He does not like to get taken out. He, he wants to give you seven innings each and every time out. Really good control. And from what I understand, he's going to be uh, a real competitor for us. And that's that's what this organization needs. Uh Last year we kind of had a two-headed, a two-headed monster in Kelly and Gallon, and then Fott came on late. But from then on, we were scrambling uh, most of the season. Fortunately, our bullpen came through for us in the second half of the season. Uh, the addition of Seawald, Ginkle stepped up, so we uh, we got through it. And uh, but I think we're going to be much better served. Uh, I tell you one thing: I'm, Mike Hazen's done a great job. He went out and got. Uh, he got uh, Ed, he got Suarez from from the Mariners play third base. He got Eduardo Rodriguez, and then I found out today one of my favorite players, uh, Lourdes Gurriel, uh, is back with us. Is going to be playing left field. So um, <clears throat> that's really 
really tr tremendous. I, I just got back from Cuba. I did a clinic in Cuba for the pitchers, for the coaching down in Cuba, my first trip to Havana. And, of course, they're all looking at Yuli uh, and Lourdes Gurriel. They're, they're big fans of them. So uh, really, really a fun time for me. Brent, what has it been like? I've had the chance to talk with Tori last year when we were down in Miami and you and I got to hang out a little bit and just such a just a laid back, low key kind of guy that just seems to really um, be a, a player's manager and to see what he's done with especially the young kids that he got to really excel and bring in a mix of the veterans and things like that. It, what, what is it like to, to work with him uh, and, and his staff? Well, Tori, Tori cares. He really cares about these players. He, uh, he tries to put them in the right position to succeed. Uh, he is very positive, very positive approach to uh, to this game. I think he he realizes how difficult this game is, and uh, as such, he does not uh, he doesn't uh, he doesn't uh, bury hitters or bury pitchers. He tries to. He has closed door meetings. Some of them I've been in where he's had to. Kind of let them know the truth. He wants to. He, the truth is always very important for Tory. You know, it's like I heard. Uh, the, I heard a, a quote one time by Jim Leland. He said, uh, "Tell the truth to a player, uh, and he'll be mad at you for the first 24 hours. Uh, lie to a player, he'll be mad at you from then on." Uh, so I think Tory lives by that uh, rule uh, that he's a truth teller and uh, really, uh, really been a benefit for this organization. Uh, and so the only thing I dislike about Tory, quite frankly, is he's a Bruin and I went to SC and uh, somehow we're trying to trying to uh, coexist. But uh, uh, I, I know he has a huge collection of UCLA uh, memorabilia in his office. And I I snuck a USC uh, baseball cap and and hung it in his in his thing. I don't think he's seen it yet. It's kind of in the corner of his uh, collection. So one day he'll see it. He'll probably throw it away. Speaking of collections, uh, where do you keep your World Series ring? Well, I'm looking in my. I have them uh, in the left drawer over here, uh, across my uh, my living room. Uh, I have a really nice collection. It's. Uh, I don't wear them, but uh, and I'm very proud of them. Uh, you know, my my initial ones were when I was a Triple A pitching coach for the Dodgers. Uh, my late <laughs> father and I were were in Chavez Ravine uh, when uh, the night Gibson hit the home run to 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 win the first game of the World Series against Oakland, and then we won another. I won another one with the Dodgers. Uh, one with the Cardinals, and then of course in '17 we won, and um, so it's uh, it's a nice small collection. I have a lot of AAA memorabilia, also a lot of championships in Albuquerque. So um, they're nice memories. But I think I think the biggest thing is you think back at the you think back to the games, you think back to the moments, um, and uh, you know it's just um, it, 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 this game this game is special. And when you can when you can achieve that. Uh, that monumental big win or something like that, uh, you never forget it. And I will tell you this from the bottom of my heart, and I think every guy that's ever done it, I never a day goes by in my life where I don't think about having pitched in the big leagues or had the opportunity to coach in the big leagues. And I think uh, it's uh, it was a dream of mine as a youngster, and being able to achieve that dream despite not achieving what I wanted uh, always stays with me. Brent, uh, is this going to be a little easier this year for spring training that you're not going to have to deal with as much the retraining of pitchers with the, with the clock and, and all of the things that that, have, that changed the game early in the season? I think is that going to be easier for you guys going forward? Yeah, I think that part will be easier. I like I mentioned before, I do hope 
that we come in with a hunger uh, and they were not satisfied. I think that's the biggest fear I have is the, um, because if you really look at it, to truth be told, we did an amazing job getting to the World Series. But we re when you really look at it, we were one play by a right fielder for the Cubs, not catching a ball um, uh, against the Braves. They, they get, the Cubs lose that game. We were, we were one uh, game away from if uh, St. Louis doesn't beat Cincinnati on the last day of the season, we don't go because they had the tiebreaker. We were one pitch away from not getting to the World Series when Ginkle threw a center cut fastball with two men on to Harper in the seventh inning, and he, he flew out to center field. Um, so I am well aware of, of how close the, the edge is between winning and losing. Um, I don't like what you're showing me right now on the screen, but that's okay. Uh, I understand that you have to <laughs> you have to satisfy your Texas people too. Uh, but uh, so I understand the margin between winning and losing can be very fine. And uh, but I'm, I'm for, we're really fortunate that we got hot and had a little bit of luck on our side to uh, to be able to uh, experience this. And it's got to be bittersweet because you won a World Series for the state of Texas, and then you lost a World Series to the state of Texas, uh, you know, and you've been on both sides. A lot of players don't get that opportunity, managers. I mean, was that the lowest of lows for you in your career, amongst the highest of highs? No, it's funny. The, the, the biggest loss that I felt, I've been in four World Series. My record's one in three. Uh, lost to the uh, – the toughest loss that we had for me was when we lost to the Nationals on the, uh, Ken, on the Howie Kendrick home run that hit the right field pole. Uh, there was stuff that was led up to that game that, uh, you know, with Grinky on the mound, we had Cole ready to go. <clears throat> we brought in Will Harris, who had a great cutter. And uh, the numbers, here's a case where analytics can kind of can kind of sway your attention. Uh, Kendrick was one for like 105 against cutters. And he happened to hit this one and hit the right field foul pole. And we lose to the Nationals. So uh, you kind of go, wow because we had Cole ready to go to pitch the eighth and the ninth, and we never got to him uh, because they blew us out in the last two innings. So that was the most difficult. Then we lost to the Braves and, uh, and then losing this time to the, uh, to the Rangers. Um, it, it's difficult, but uh, you also have to look back and realize we were one of two teams out of 30 that were playing at that point in time. And uh, it was really great for this organization, for the state of Arizona and for the people in Phoenix and, Hopefully that'll that'll uh, carry us over to this next year. Yeah, as born and raised in Arizona, I was hoping that they could do it. But uh, the surprise to get there was part of the excitement, just to ride that with you guys and and to just see the excitement of the young players and everybody coming together. Uh, you know, somebody does have to lose, but it was still amazing. So we're going to put a bow on the rest of this show. Stay with us. You're watching Geary, Stein, and Stevens. Easter Seals is the largest nonprofit provider of disability services nationwide, helping kids and adults with autism to achieve maximum independence. People with autism are at higher risk for mental health conditions. 85% of autistic kids have at least one. That's why we're working to help autistic people with complex behaviors and mental health challenges. We are Easter Seals.
Hi everybody, Dave Stevens here for the Geary Stein and Stevens Show from Tropicana Field, home of the Tampa Rays. And you know what? Not everybody can be a Major League Baseball player, but you can look like a million dollars. What's the best way to do that? Well, go to FreshCleanThreads.com. Don't believe me? That's right, you can look professional, feel good, and not spend a lot of money by wearing Fresh Clean Threads. They have amazing shirts. They've got Henleys and polos, long sleeves, and even bomber jackets. And if you like them, you can save some money by typing in the show code GSS Show from the Geary Stein and Stevens Show to save 20% off. So if you can't be a major leaguer and you want to dress like one, well, go to FreshCleanThreads.com. That's FreshCleanThreads.com. Tell them Dave sent you. Use that code GSS Show. Welcome back to the last part of uh, a really fun show, catching up with Brent Strom, uh, the pitching coach for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And uh, Brent and I have a mutual friend in Dave Clark, of course, uh, the only pitcher that ever played in the minor leagues uh, on crutches uh, when he had uh, polio, and he was able to overcome that. And, of course, I got to play minor league baseball without legs, and now I've gotten to know Brent, and uh, just it's been neat to just – you know, talk to you about baseball and, and get to know you and, and, and see, you know, the amazing things that, that you do when you teach the, the young kids. And, and uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, when you've seen guys like Verlander and all these guys, do you tell them, you know, to ease up or, or to how you're going to prolong their careers to like, what's, what's the secret now to the arm successes for these pitchers? The thing with them, uh, the thing with guys like Verlander and those guys, you know, they, they have a lot of mileage on their arms. But what I've realized is that they become their own best coaches. And so my job is to really to to guide. Uh, I utilize a, a technique, what I call guided discovery. And what I'll do is I'll make a suggestion. <clears throat> and the strength comes from that suggestion is when the player himself feels it and decides that this is what he wants to do, not by me telling him what he needs to do. I can present evidence. I can present uh, ideas on sequencing on utilizing the strike zone in the right way, utilizing speeds and, and, and distances and things like that. But when I when I was able to look at Grinky and, and Verlander and Cole and to that point, Charlie Morton and Gallen and Kelly and, and these exceptional pitchers uh, back in the day with um, Dallas Keuchel when he won a Cy Young Award, uh, I learned as much from them as, as they do from me, I think. And I think if you gain their trust, you don't try and um, – overcoach and you 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 basically if they know that you have their best interests at heart then i think that um, they will they will uh, gravitate towards you uh, it's interesting i'm sure the general public believes these guys that are making 20 million 30 million bucks a year or anything that they have it all figured out believe me they have as many fears and as many uh, doubts as 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 a rookie does uh, primarily because they want to be great they, they want to be the best in the game. Uh, they're not going to rest on their laurels. And, and really, you know, they want to be recognized as, as the best of their era. And much I told Verlander this. I said, you, to me, belong pitching back in the 70s. Uh, when, when I came through with the Seavers and the Carltons and, the, and, and those kind of people, that Kuzmans, those kind of, those kind of people that uh, Gibson, they came, to, they, they came to the post. They posted – 32 times and we're throwing 280 innings. Um, and that's what made Gallon's year so special to me is the, the innings pitched and, and, and posting up. And you look at the history of people and you look at a Koufax with 40 starts in, his, in a season and you go, wow, you know, that's, that, that's unbelievably special to pitch every fourth day, 
to post up and give your give your team a chance to win. And so uh, that's that's where those are the that's the era that I I really reflect back on uh, and with a with a lot of a lot of interest and uh, and and want these guys to try and emulate as best they can given today's circumstances. Oh, one of your uh, assistants last year, Barry Enright, just got tired with the Angels uh, as a pitching coach. Uh, what, what, what does he bring to the table to that organization, and how proud are you, uh, you know, having assistants in the past, you know, get jobs like that? Well, Barry is very, very sharp. I was I was lucky when I joined the club two years ago, came aboard as an assistant pitching coach. He's not that far gone from, from actually pitching competitively. This is a very sharp guy, uh, a big-time learner. Uh, understands the analytics, uh, understands movement patterns. Uh, was always asking questions, uh, which which I appreciated. I learned a great deal from him. Um, I hated to lose him. There's no question that he he and Dan Carlson were uh, benefited me a great deal. Uh, they allowed me to kind of look at a lot of big picture things while they took care of a lot of the details that go on in a 162 game season. And he, uh, I think Ron Washington has got himself a good one over there. He really does. He he uh, he's going to do a very very good job over there, uh, trying to, to help that organization uh, a different voice, uh, and uh, I'm excited for him. You know he he's getting started at a very young age, but uh, he's a, he 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 is he he's much more uh, further advanced uh, than you would expect for a person in their late 30s uh, getting this opportunity. Friends, I'm curious as far as we just saw that the Dodgers signed Otani this week. And, you know, other than you seeing him occasionally now, you're going to have to see him a lot more, only as a hitter this year. But what are your thoughts about him now? You guys have to compete against that guy all the time. Well, I saw enough of him when I was with the Astros, okay? So I'm well aware of uh, Shohei Otani, uh, a, special, a special talent. There's no question. You know, it's funny. When you look at the uh, – you look at the body of work that he he's done. He's, he's special. He, um, he 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 is so quick. Uh, he coils his body so well. Uh, probably one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen. Uh, we have a plan to get him out. I I, I kind of uh, know we had success with, with in Houston, and I'm going to try and fall back on that. I'm not sure that that hitters really change very much. I think they are who they are. So without giving away any secrets, um, you know, we'll 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 do what we can. Uh, the problem is that we have to navigate Freddie Freeman and Betts and Smith and 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 uh, along with Otani, and then you have the other group that's right behind them. And uh, so it's uh, it, you, to navigate that lineup is going to be difficult. But we're we're going to embrace the challenge and, uh, and and do what we can to uh, to to beat them. Uh, I think beating them last year uh, in the playoffs I think did wonders for this organization and this town. And I think that. Uh, if we can just get in, I, I've often said to my wife, um, in a short series, anything can happen. And uh, if we can get in, um, we're dangerous. And that's what we hope to do. Troy? I asked Dave McKee the same question uh, a couple years ago when I was talking to him in Kansas City. But what makes you keep coming back every year? Is it is it teaching the young kids the love of the game, or is it is it both? Well, quite frankly, after, after um, we lost game six against the Braves in Houston, um, I think we got shut out six or seven, nothing. I was in a kind of a despondent mood. I was going to retire. <clears throat> I had, I had purchased a place in Mexico, uh, that my wife and I were going to spend a lot of time down there with our dogs. 
And, uh, <clears throat> and a couple of days after that, I got a call from the D-backs. And I asked my wife, I said, what do you think? And, you know, she knows my love for this game. And she's been a, a partner of mine going through this for the last 30 plus years that we've been married. And uh, she lives and dies with, with our, with our pitchers and, 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 and the success or the failures that they've had. She, they know, she knows how it affects, affects me, but I saw it as a challenge, quite frankly. I, I feel like things were going so easily in Houston that uh, uh, outside of retirement, I, I, I wanted to embrace a new challenge, uh, much like I did in 2014. When I joined the Astros, the team was coming off three consecutive 110 season losses. When I joined the D-backs, they were coming off three consecutive 100 plus losses. So um, I wanted to see if what I had learned through my time with Houston, uh, with the great analytic group that they had there and the and the coaches and 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 the players that I was I was fortunate to be with, if that could tr bring that to the D-backs. And uh, you know, the first year we had some bumps, but we were better. And then last year we kind of put it together. But now we have to we have we have a little mark on our back now, and so we're going to have to step up to the plate. And uh, we're in a tough division, and uh, that includes even going into Colorado, which scares the hell out of me all the time. Anyway, you know, with that ballpark. So uh, we'll see how this season plays out. Speaking of stepping up to the plate, I, I couldn't find any of your career hits. You did have eight career Major League Base hits. You had a triple. <laughs> you had a double. You hit three thirty-three your final year in the big leagues. Uh, <laughs> but of all the memories from your Major League career, is there that one moment that's – and I'm not talking about as a, as a pitching coach, but as a player. What, what was that one shining moment of your career that you might think about once or twice a week? Well – I remember uh, I got called up out of Tidewater, um, drove up to uh, drove up to New York. My first game was against the New York Mets, and Willie Mays was playing first base. And what I remembered, quite frankly, was behind home plate was the late Doug Harvey, uh, who is from San Diego and used to officiate my high school basketball games when I played basketball at San Diego High School. And he was behind the plate. And I remember, I think it was Ken Singleton was batting third, I got the first two guys out and then I threw a fastball away or kind of middle away to, to uh, Singleton and he rifled it into right center field and Tommy Agee roamed over into right field by the fence and caught the ball. And as I walked off the mound, I remember Doug Harvey taking off his mask and saying, son, welcome to the big leagues. But remember, you're not in San Diego high school anymore. You better get the ball down. And then I stuck with me. I couldn't believe, you know, here was, here was my, uh, the great Doug Harvey, one of the great umpires of all time, remembering my time when he would, would call me for traveling or blocking uh, or a foul in, at San Diego High School. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and, and guess what? We've reached another milestone tonight because we, I think, Troy, do you think we might be the only show that have had the only two, the first two Tommy John surgery <laughs> uh, candidates? Because yeah, we had Tommy John on uh, earlier this year, so – it really is amazing to see uh, two of the pioneers in this thing. But as far as the surgeries and things that are happening now, it seems like the, the pitchers used in the old days, they would try to put off surgery and play through it. And now they just go ahead and get cut. They know they're going to sit out a year and they're going to be back just as stronger as ever. How do you reteach those tools and mechanics when you have to deal with a pitcher that's gone through something that, like a Verlander? Well, first of all, let's 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 uh, let's thank God that Tommy John had it first, because if I was the first guy to have it, they'd be calling it BS surgery. Okay, and I don't think that would I don't think that would play real well. 
So uh, <laughs> I know Tommy very well. 288 wins, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Uh, Tom, Tommy, Tommy was my pitching coach in AAA when I was the coordinator for the Expos and uh, learned a great deal from him. But, you know, he, he utilized the late Mike Marshall, uh, a lot of his work that he did, the, the pitcher, who threw 106 games one year, 200-plus uh, innings for the Dodgers. <coughs> and uh, I think what we need to recognize is despite the – the advances in the surgery and, and everything that we do, uh, we, it's still a surgery. And it's, it's, you have to be very leery of the fact that um, we have to make sure that we don't ruin all the young pitchers that we have at the youth level. Uh, a lot of coaches who want to win games at the 10-year-old, 11, 12-year-old uh, level. Uh, I know myself, uh, I threw way too much. My workload was too high. Uh, my strength wasn't ready to handle that. Um, I think my senior year in high school, uh, we had a 26-game schedule, and I was 20 and three. I would do the math. Uh, that's not really an appropriate way for a for a 170-pound left-hander uh, uh, to uh, to look at much of a future. But you know, I was able to to eke out a little bit of a big league career. But I think we need to be very cognizant and aware of workloads, of movement patterns, uh, strength, a lot of those things. And so, just don't jump to the uh, to the idea that this Tommy John surgery is the end all and be all. Uh, it, it's amazing what they've done and pitchers have come back from it. Uh, but um, you look at the, you look at the Clemens, the Maddoxes, the, uh, the uh, uh, Nolan Ryans and those kind of people. Uh, a lot of the things that really helped them, quite frankly, uh, if you let's take Seaver and Nolan Ryan, for example, in the late sixties, the Vietnam war was going on. And they had to do National Guard duty. So they weren't physically strong enough to handle the workload. So if you look at their innings that they pitched at that period of time, they uh, they were throwing 60 to 70 innings at a very precarious age. And by so doing, it allowed them to mature, their body to mature, and then they end up becoming 300-game winners uh, late in their career. The research that I've done has showed that the majority of pitchers that have won 150 games by the age of 30 do not win 300 games in their career. The majority of the 300 game winners won the majority of their games post 30 years of age. And so that goes to tell you that we need to let the body mature before we allow these workloads to, <clears throat> to take over. The problem is when you have a prodigy like a, uh, like a Hernandez in Seattle, a Dwight Gooden, a Wally Bunker back in the day, uh, Gary Nolan back in the day, uh, those kind of people, when you're really, really good, they're going to run them to the big leagues. And when you're 19 years old, like a Brett Saberhagen, and you're throwing 250 innings as a 19 or 20-year-old, that's a prescription for failure down the road. But uh, a lot of times we're a little short-sighted in our thought process. Uh, I, I take a look back at Billy Martin when he had all those pitchers throwing all those innings back in the early '80s and Keough and all those guys, and it just ruined a lot what, of their. What, what, he, what he did was, I, I know what you're talking about—the Norris and that whole group. And, yeah. Uh, and 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 basically, the ones who took the brunt of that is when they when they end up going to Chicago with the White Sox. A couple of them they blew out. They blamed Gene Lamont, the manager there, but the die was already cast from what Billy had done to that staff out in Oakland. So, um, you know, a lot of times it's the um, residual uh, that kind of finds its way. And, um, you know, then blame is cast on the person who happens to be manning the post at that time. 
Well, Brent, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I have one last question for you since it's the holidays. Put you on the spot. What was the best toy you ever got for Christmas? Well, it's funny. The best toy I ever got was my dad had, when I was a young kid, he got me a little train set. And, uh, but he also got me a pitchback. And uh, so we set the train up, the train set. My dad was all excited. He put it all together. I played with it for five minutes. And I went out and took the pitchback and started throwing the ball against the pitchback for about two hours. So that was the best gift I got, even though my dad thought the train set would be the key. But I was constantly throwing the ball against the garage, pretending I was Whitey Ford, pretending I was throwing against Ted Williams, uh, just playing little mind games. And then my little Stratomatic game that I got as a gift where I kept statistics. And to show you how stupid I was, when I started playing the Stratomatic game, I didn't know how to uh, how to do batting averages. So in my little mind, I thought, oh, I see how it does. Everybody starts at 1,000, and every time you make an out, you get dropped two points. And that's how I thought they used to get down to, you know, 300. And, and I used to cheat like a son of a gun when my man Ted Williams would come up. And I would spin the thing, you know, and one was a home run and 10 was a strikeout. And it'd be right on the line, and I'd want Ted to hit the home run. So I'd kind of lean a little bit to the left to make sure that that little arrow was pointed at the home run. And I'd put it in my scoreboard because I wanted Ted to do well. I was an APBA baseball man myself. There you go. There you go. But uh, great memories. Uh, Brent, we wish you the best of luck. We'll see you uh, sometime when Troy and I can get to a Diamondbacks game. And uh, happy holidays to you and your wife. And best of luck to the Diamondbacks next year. Troy? This is is a great show, man. I'll tell you what, I've enjoyed this a great deal. This is good. Thanks a lot. Again, I want to echo that, what Dave said. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy night to join us. And uh, we look forward to another uh, great season next year. Good deal, man. Look forward to seeing both of you. All right. So for Troy, for Brent, and myself, I'm Dave Stevens. Happy holidays if you're watching this. If this is in January, well, hope you had a great Christmas. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Geary Stein and Stevens Show. Thank you to all of our fans and all of the support on Your Home TV, Roku, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, all those places that you can find us. Continue to follow Geary Stein and Stevens everywhere. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Gary Stan and Steven Show. Follow us on social media, watch us on yourhometv.com, or now, we're on Roku. Download it and watch us, and thanks for tuning in. Until next time, America.